Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everybody, this is Devin Kadiyama. Thank you so much to everybody who came out to our very first meetup of 2020. It was amazing and so fun to talk with some of you and even interview some of you. I promise we plan to do something special with that tape soon. And if you missed this meetup, we plan to do nine this year, one in each Bay Area County. So come on out to the next one, which will be in San Jose, date and place, TBD. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the Bay KQED or keep listening for updates. So you know we like to tell you stories about what it means to live in the Bay Area and how hard that can be sometimes, especially for people born and raised in the Bay. It's one thing just to pay rent, but it's a whole other thing to try and start your own business from the ground up that you feel keeps Bay Area culture alive. Copper and Heat is a podcast made out of Oakland, and today they're going to bring us the story of a chef who has a dream of opening a business in San Francisco's Fillmore neighborhood, where her family's from, and where she says her restaurant belongs. I hope you subscribe to the show, Copper and Heat. Here it is. I didn't realize how important my story was. My mom called me her little princess from the hood. Like, who wants to know about me, you know? So I didn't realize it until La Cocina that not only is my food important, but my story is too. This is Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurant kitchens. I'm Katie Osuna. Today, you know what? Let's go this way. Okay. <laughs> I'm in the Fillmore District of San Francisco. So I grew up here in this building here. That's my childhood home. With Fernay McPherson. I am Fernay McPherson, a chef and owner of Minnie Bell Soul Movement in Emeryville. Minnie Bell's opened in 2018 in Emeryville, but long before she opened in Emeryville, Fernay was fighting to open Minnie Bell's in the Fillmore. Fernay was born and raised in the Fillmore District, and her family has been there for three generations. You know, it was considered the Harlem of the West and so rich in African-American culture. And people did not know that because you would never walk down that street now and think that at all. Fernay showed me around the neighborhood and told me about some of the places that used to be pillars of the community. 
and some of the ones that still are. Um, this is the community center. It's called Ellie Hill Hutch and has been around for as long as I can remember. <laughs> Though she has some really fond memories of growing up in the Fillmore, her feelings about the neighborhood are complicated. That's one of the things my generation, all of the young men were killed, like a lot in the 90s, you know. So my daughter lost her father when she was three. He uh, was from San Francisco and, and, you know, he died to gun violence, you know, from being in the neighborhood and dealing drugs and, you know, so that... um, hurt a lot of the kids, you know. Even though it was things I loved about my neighborhood, it was also things to set us up for failure. Um, And it did, you know. It's beautiful to see the people who made it through that era. Um, I was always one that felt like I can't be a product of this. I can't, you know, I have to work to do more, to have more. And for her to do that, she had to leave. I lived, I've lived all over. I lived in Oakland, Richmond, Sacramento, and then I lived in like near Stockton for a little bit. Sacramento, I loved it. It was so different than here. It was so calm, it was so quiet, it was so peaceful. I didn't hear sirens, I didn't hear gunshots, like I didn't hear any of that. And I just was like, I'll never leave this city, I love it. So I just felt like I would never come back. Like, this is my new life. (laughs) But eventually, I wasn't able to be compatible with working at my my kids' school schedule. So I had to come back for some help, for some support. But I'm very glad that I came back. I don't think I knew the importance of preserving the neighborhood, you know. I was at AT AT&T for a number of years. I was there when it was Pacific Bell, and then it went to SBC, and then it went to AT&T. So the company just went through a lot of changes um, and went through a lot of relocations. And so the last one, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to keep going through this because it was just so unstable. And I just felt like I'm going to just do something that I love to do. It was like finding my purpose, you know. So that's when I decided to go to culinary school. And I went to culinary school in Sacramento. Moved back up to the Bay a little bit before I finished. So I was commuting from San Francisco to Sacramento every day. I was crazy. Fernet came back to San Francisco and started to look for jobs in the culinary industry. But getting a job turned out to be really difficult in the city. You know, I was trying to find jobs in industry, pretty hard, pretty hard to do. You know, being a black woman, my alternative was just to work for myself because I could not find a job. She started her own business doing catering at the local community center and other places in the Fillmore. In the meantime, she was also driving a bus part-time, a job that she absolutely hated. Until she found a program that could help her. When I chose to do my own business, I'd look for business resources. And one of the resources here in the community was called Urban Solutions. And it was like a bunch of classes you had to attend. And like at the end of this class, one it was either one or two people would end up with the food truck. And I was that one person that ended up with the food truck. So from there, La Cucina brought me into their program and, and helped to formalize the business more and get the food truck off the ground and La Cucina just created so many different opportunities, just with formalizing. 
Brunei came to La Cocina really wanting to start this soul food movement business. Uh, my name is Emiliana Puyana, and I'm the program manager at La Cocina. She made absolutely delicious food, uh, recipes that were passed down to her from her family. And so she knew that she always wanted to have a restaurant. But to get to that, we needed to do a host of work. La Cocina is a nonprofit here in San Francisco that helps low-income women and people of color build and formalize sustainable food businesses. Since they started over 15 years ago, they've incubated around 40 restaurants. So, I mean, I see one of La Cocina's biggest responsibilities to the entrepreneurs that we serve as mitigating risk in every place that we can, right? There's inherent risk in the restaurant business, and we're never going to be able to take them all away. The thing about La Cocina is that the entrepreneurs that they work with face more risk because they don't have the access to money and capital like other restaurateurs. So La Cocina guides them through the process of building a restaurant from the very ground up. Because of the limited resources, our entrepreneurs are forced to be really, really scrappy and to find creative avenues for making sales. What we have figured out is that we can support entrepreneurs in incubating businesses with a path that changes, of course, from person to person, but is pretty replicable amongst a host of different styles of food businesses. So, you know, we go essentially from catering and farmer's market businesses to restaurants, so to speak. This is exactly what Frenet did. So the catering was first. And then from there, she moved into a food trailer that La Cocina owns and can rent out to entrepreneurs for prolonged periods of time. And then once I chose to not do the food truck, I just did more corporate special event catering and pop-ups throughout the city. The revenues from it can be significant, so it, it provides a cushion to continue to grow. And then from that, Frenet started to do a host of pop-ups. I did a pop-up on Hate um, at Wing Wings. The former owner there, Christian, was a really good friend of mine, and he allowed me to come in once a week and do a pop-up. Always with the idea and the goal to be able to open a restaurant in the Fillmore. Sadly, that opportunity in the Fillmore has not yet manifested itself, though Fernay will continue to try and will continue to try alongside with her. The entrepreneurs in La Cocina take different amounts of time to graduate from the program. But for Fernay, the process took longer. Because I was very adamant about being in a space here in the Fillmore, but it just did not present itself. Nothing presented itself. For six years, Fernay built her business piece by piece and waited for the opportunity to come up. But when something finally did... I was outbidding. It was for the wing-wing space. By the time I was like, okay, well, let me just try to do it. And I was outbidded. So someone just kind of kind of beat me to it a little bit, you know? I mean, can you tell me a little bit about what the challenges were during those six years of trying to find a space here in... Access to capital. Access to capital. Being able to afford to be able to be here. How do you get somebody who maybe makes delicious food or has been working in the restaurant industry for a very, very long time and has, by all means, a, a good reputation? How do you get them from zero to, to opening in a system that's kind of rigged and designed uh, against that? 
I often think about, you know, executive sous chefs at like super fine dining restaurants, right? Like obviously they can cook. And because they've been at those places and have gotten to go to, you know, fancy cities all over the world to cook with other chefs, they've made a lot of connections. But they've never actually run a business, right? Not for themselves. They've never actually had to wear the burden of like, how the hell am I going to make this next payroll? They've never written that rent check. But these folks can go out and talk to 20 fancy people that they've met and build out a restaurant that costs over a million dollars, right? I'm not saying that they don't haven't worked hard. I'm not saying that they can't cook. I'm not saying that in a sense they haven't proved something about who they are. But they certainly haven't been building a business penny by penny by penny for six years. And so that to me is is kind of infuriating. San Francisco has changed a lot in recent years because of tech companies moving in and gentrification making property skyrocket. But before any of that happened, the Fillmore was targeted as ground zero for urban renewal in the 40s, all because it was Black. What happened during this period of redevelopment is what led to the crack cocaine epidemic, the decimation of wealth in the Black community of the Fillmore, and in turn, Fernay not being able to own a restaurant there. But this is these these apartments is a part of that whole redevelopment takeover, mm-hmm. like all of these places here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, these all, so these all were Victorian. These were all houses. The, Since the uh, early 1900s, the Fillmore was always one of the most diverse neighborhoods in San Francisco. After the 1906 earthquake, a lot of Jews were living there. Then Japanese Americans, Filipinos, Mexicans moved in. In the 40s, when Japanese Americans were evicted and taken to internment camps. Black folks from the South were migrating for the jobs in the shipyards, and they moved into the vacant houses of the Fillmore. Starting in the 40s and through the 90s, the Fillmore was predominantly African-American. In the 40s, the African-American population in San Francisco went from a little under 5,000 people to over 40,000. Many of those people settled in the Fillmore. And the neighborhood exploded. It became the Harlem of the West, it was called. It had a ton of popular jazz and nightclubs. But in the wake of World War II, cities started to crack down on neighborhoods they considered to be slums, which usually meant communities with people of color. And in the name of urban renewal, they implemented redevelopment projects that decimated communities. Before I was born, redevelopment came in and offered people money to buy their homes, tore down their homes and created what they considered low-income housing and co-op housing, cooperative housing, which is you buy into the building and you own your unit, which is where my parents live. But these Victorians and everything around are worth millions now. Redevelopment in the Fillmore has since become the poster child of how not to do urban renewal. Buying out homeowners was only one of their tactics. They used the power of eminent domain, or the right of a government to take property, as long as there was compensation, to take businesses and homes from people. The compensation many received was not outright payment, but certificates to be the first allowed back in the neighborhood once redevelopment was complete. But the first phase of the project took 20 years, the second phase another 30. And all these people were displaced and the neighborhood decimated of so many businesses. They were just given money, but stripped of their wealth of something that could have stayed in their family for generations and been worth so much more than the little check that they received. Like redevelopment knew. You know, the people who were issuing out these checks, they knew how 
these places would appreciate but the lack of knowledge of individuals that didn't know i felt like oh my god this is a lot of money but no this money can be so much more Redevelopment officially ended in the early 2000s, and since then, people have been trying to undo all the damage done by the redevelopment agency. But prices in the Fillmore have skyrocketed. It's a hit part of town with at least a few of the iconic Victorians left. So if we take all of this context and bring it back to Fernay, the reason that she's not in the Fillmore makes a whole lot more sense. And the reason that she wants to be in the Fillmore makes a lot more sense too. My food truck started on um, Hayes and Octavia. And people would come up to the truck and be like, oh, welcome to the neighborhood. And I used to be like, no, I've been here. Like, how long have you been here? <laughs> like, I, I, this is my neighborhood. This is, this is my home. So thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> After six years of fighting to open Mini Bells in San Francisco, Fernay was outbidded for a space where she had been doing pop-ups. It seemed like opening in San Francisco just wasn't going to happen. But another opportunity came up. The problem was, it wasn't in the Fillmore. The opportunity that did present itself was a pop-up kiosk at the Emeryville Public Market. The Emeryville Public Market is one of those large food halls with lots of different kiosks for different restaurants in one place. La Cucina has a pop-up space there where entrepreneurs can get their start. They put forth a really uh, fair rent structure and they provide a year lease. If the entrepreneur does really well in that space, then there could potentially be a possibility for them to move into a permanent location within the same market. And so uh, Fernay took over that pop-up kiosk, ran the kiosk for a little bit over a year with amazing success. And just about two months ago, she moved from the small pop-up kiosk to a really large kiosk in inside the Emeryville Public Market. When Numbai left out of the pop-up space, they asked you, well, do you want to do it? And I was very hesitant to go to the East Bay, but I was like, well, let me just try. I was like, I'll try it. You know, it's only a pop-up. If it doesn't work, you know, I don't have to stay. And I did it and it just blew up before my eyes. Like it was intense. Though she was hesitant to go to Emeryville at first, she's come to terms with it. I think it was meant for me to go to Emeryville. It was meant for me to develop that following and to introduce more people to Mini Bells. So if that opportunity ever presents itself to come to San Francisco, people will know who we are. In order to do that, she has to continue to hustle and slowly, penny by penny, build her business even more. Before I had this plan, well, okay, in two years, I'll try to open up a space. And it's like, okay, now, realistically speaking, girl, you cannot do that. So it's more of me really getting Emeryville to run the way I want it, to build the different revenue streams that I want to have, then I'll focus on expansion. Hey, Tiff. <laughs> While walking around the Fillmore with Fernay, we ran into someone. Hi. Tiff grew up in the Fillmore with Fernay. Her mother still lives in the Fillmore, though Tiff has moved out to the East Bay. Yeah, she's definitely one that comes out and supports at Minivilles all the time. All the time. It's a number of them that still come, that come out, and especially during happy hour. <laughs> this is why Fernay is working so hard to be back in the Fillmore, even though it's taking her way longer and would cost her way more money. The Fillmore is home for me, you know. 
my dad is a native of San Francisco, a native of Fillmore, so it's always been home, you know, and I hear so many stories about the rich culture because it was like their Fillmore, my Fillmore, and what it is today. So to learn about what it was before it was my Fillmore is something that is just near and dear to what I do. I represent my my hood uh, in Emeryville, like our shirts say, established in Filmo. <laughs> and one thing I always say with La Cocina, um, I didn't realize how important my story was. My mom called me her little princess from the hood. Like, who wants to know about me, you know? So I didn't realize it until La Cocina that not only is my food important, but my story is too. That's Fernay McPherson. She's the owner of Mini Bells, which you can find right now at the Emeryville Public Market and hopefully sometime soon in the Fillmore neighborhood of San Francisco. Copper and Heat is a podcast produced out of Oakland. Their show is hosted by Katie Osuna. Thanks to her, along with Ricardo Osuna and Rachel Palmer. Subscribe to their show and follow them on Twitter at Copper and Heat. The Bay is produced by Erica Cruz Guevara and editor Alan Monticilio. KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. We also get help from Kiana Mogadam. I'm Devin Kadayama. That's it for The Bay. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.